Hello, you're listening to part two on episode five on BPP's Diversity and Inclusion podcast. Today's episode, along with part one, have been in celebration of International Women's Day. And today, our discussion is centering on themes surrounding the importance of mentorship and networking for women in the legal industry. My name is Mohini Katecha. I'm a Diversity and Inclusion Ambassador at BPP and a current LPC student. We're joined by three incredible guests who I'll go on to introduce in a moment. But first, I'll pass on to my lovely co-host, Irini Estathio, to introduce herself. Yeah, thanks for the intro, Mohini. Uh, I am Irini Estathio, so I'm also uh, a DNI ambassador at BPP. And I'm also a co-host of the DNI podcast um, at BPP. Thank you, Irini. So I'd like to kick things off by conveying a huge thank you to our three guests and ask them to briefly introduce themselves and their occupations before we go into the questions. So if we start off with Sophia. Hi, my name's Sophia Gopkins. I'm a trainee solicitor currently in my fourth seat. Um, I'm training with Marriott Harrison LLP and I am currently sitting in the commercial and intellectual property law department. Brilliant, thank you. And then if we move on to Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah Simpson. I'm a senior associate at a US firm uh, called Catton. I specialise in intellectual property law, but I also advise on data privacy and commercial. Lovely, thank you. And last but not least, Laura, who is also called Simpson, but not a relative of Sarah. (laughs) I'm glad you pointed that out. That's what I was about to say. Delighted to be speaking alongside a colleague of mine, but but no relation, unfortunately, to Sarah. So, um, I'm Laura Simpson and I'm the Recruitment and Learning and Development Manager at Catton, where I've been for almost two years now, and I'm also an accredited executive coach. Lovely, thank you very much. So we're going to be taking it in turn with each of our guests, and we'll be starting with Sophia. And in keeping with the theme of mentorship, Sophia is actually an informal mentor of mine, and she studied the same degree with me, not with me, ahead of me so we both did law with German law at the University of Warwick so the first sort of question we have for you Sophia is how have you approached your role as a mentor? Thanks Mahini um yeah as as you correctly pointed out um I have been your informal mentor and um, since we met each other all those years ago um, and I'd say yeah my approach to mentorship it's been it's been a bit mixed so when I first joined University of Warwick back in 2014 which feels like a lifetime ago now um I signed up very keen first year signed up to the mentor scheme and I got placed with a mentor who I just didn't click with and equally I think that mentor maybe you know signed up to the scheme for the wrong reasons you know something that looks good on the CV um, and then a few weeks later, um, I was on a very thrilling tour of University of Warwick Library uh, of the German law book section <laughs> with the law librarian. And I met um, a girl similar to how I met Mahini. She was the year above me doing the exact same degree and we just clicked. Um, and she became my unofficial mentor. And so I think the the, the approach to mentorship is the foundation is you need to get on. I think that's one of the main things. And, you know, sometimes you'll find a mentor without necessarily looking for them as well. Um, You go through your career, you go through your university, you go through your LPC and you meet like-minded people, people who may be a bit ahead of you um, and you just click. And then it's easy, I'd say. That's, (laughs) I know it's a very simple answer, um, but, but when you meet someone like that, it's just, very easy um because you know you you want to see that person do well so yeah that's what I'd say yeah I think for students listening who might be wanting to have a mentor a good message to take away from that is that you should keep open-minded and you never know where someone who could be a great mentor to you might come from your case the library and mine was a trip to Paris where we met um (laughs) so yeah keep open-minded so I'm sort of sharing my mentor with the rest of the listeners here And as we mentioned, we both studied German law and part of that was going abroad. So I thought you could potentially touch on advice to young women who might be apprehensive 
about stepping outside of their comfort zones because studying abroad is just one example of that and it does it does really take you outside of your comfort zone so what advice might you have to them on that front definitely yeah studying abroad i feel like if you've done a year abroad uh, especially in another language you can you can take on the world <laughs> it was definitely um something that was very daunting before i went on my year abroad very apprehensive about it um at warwick it's quite a small cohort of law with german law so i was also going on my own um which made it all the more scary um but i think just dive straight in um you won't regret it i think that's probably the main bit of advice for stepping outside of your comfort zone and because often at the end of the day you'll have something great to show for it once you get out the other side and i think you've just got to step back and have a think and just be like you know it could always be worse <laughs> and I can do this you know you've got to have those sort of self-affirmation talks with yourself and just be like you know I've got this I can do this and I think yeah as you say especially for young women it's a lot harder um we've got sort of added pressures and expectations and also you know with all the stuff that's been in the news recently as well we've got to be extra alert and extra careful so you know moving to another country on your own not knowing anyone it's really scary but as as i said before once you get out the other side you'll have something great to show for it so stepping out of your comfort zone is just i i think yeah it's and it's one of those things also you get better with practice so i went on that year abroad i made loads of friends i had a really great time and now doing something in the future something similar won't be so daunting so it's another thing as a junior lawyer or as a student things will probably really scare you and you'll feel really apprehensive but you know it's just as as in life everything gets better with practice and you can just the more you do it the better you'll get at it as well yeah that's a great piece of advice and also from my point of view having someone who had done that and who gone through that experience just before I had that was so important and helpful because I saw how you'd completed it and you were fine and you had a great time and that made me realize like yes I can do it because someone who is similar to me has done it and I think that visibility is also really important not just for our example of going abroad but elsewhere in the legal profession seeing people who aren't so far removed from what you know yourself to be it's a really positive thing to take away so kind of on that note what advice and encouragement might you have to young women who are looking to join the legal profession going through training contract cycles and applications it can be quite a stressful process so what might you say to them and what sort of approach did you take when you were applying um definitely yeah i think you can take the stepping outside of your comfort zone if you just apply that also to applications and when you're actually in your training contract as well you know have the confidence believe in yourself you know don't don't try and limit yourself just because you think it might might be particularly difficult or you don't you don't have that self belief i'd say that you can carry that forward um to your training contract linked hand in hand with that i think some really good advice i was given is you know be honest um you know be honest with yourself what you want also i know it goes without saying but <laughs> be honest when you're applying you know don't say like oh i've i've always dreamed of being a corporate lawyer because people will see straight through it um, so I think that's like another another really big thing. And also another great thing for being a junior lawyer is you can ask questions and don't be scared that it's going to be a silly question. Well, firstly, there's no such thing as a silly question, but when you're at a lower level, you, you have a bit more scope of asking questions that you might think are silly, but that's how you learn. So just ask questions all the time. And that goes also if you go to a networking event, ask a question, you know, nothing bad is going to come of asking a question um, and no one's gonna turn around and be like, oh, what, what a stupid question. No, and I don't know why they asked that question. You're only ever going to leave a lasting impression. Um, and in terms of training contracts, I'd say, don't be, it's really difficult, but try not to be put off by what's going on around you. Um, I think for students, especially, I know I found it quite hard when I was at university um, to not be put off by what everyone else was doing. You know, not everyone has the same path. Life would be boring if everyone did the same thing. So um, 
don't be put off if you think that oh they've got they've got this training contract they've had it since their first year or oh there's they're set etc like they've got my dream job because I think everything happens for a reason and you are where you need to be so don't necessarily put yourself down the path that you think you should be going you know again that goes back to being honest be honest about what you like if you like a really niche area of law and you'll be working in a tiny firm with 10 other people that's great you know you do you yeah, that's great. And it's certainly not the first time I've actually heard this advice because I have come to Sophia many a time, having <laughs> hundreds of people getting their training contract offers on LinkedIn and feeling overwhelmed and stressed out. And I think it's so true that you should be asking questions and you shouldn't be embarrassed to ask questions. The only thing that's happened when I've asked questions is that I've got either good answers or I've walked away and been like, oh, okay, okay. Like, that's it. I don't cry. There's no tears. It's all good. You just need to put yourself out there and know that it's not arrogant to back yourself it's vital that you do exactly and as I said before asking questions that you know if you go to a seminar or a network event and you think like oh I'm going to ask a question that gets better with practice as well you know it's always going to be scary the first time you do it but just keep going keep persevering and you'll just get better at it Absolutely. And also links back again to our theme of mentorship, because I've been able to practice what I might think are silly questions with my mentor. And you've been able to say, yeah, that's a good question. Maybe think about other questions that stem off that and having that back and forth is so helpful. So hopefully the listeners have found sharing my mentor enjoyable as well. And I'll pass over to Irini now, who's going to have a discussion with her own mentor. Yeah, thanks, Rohini. Um, so I'm also happy to have with us my mentor, Sarah Simpson. Uh, so Sarah has been acting as my mentor since October of 2020. And I would also like to share that uh, through this mentorship, I've also had the chance to understand how valuable having a mentor to guide you through the process of entering the job market is. It's such a vital moment. Uh, and I would say that this is also important, especially in the legal sector. So our first question is um, to Sarah, did you have a mentor uh, before or while entering the sector yourself? So interestingly, I had a bit of a similar situation to Sophia, where I had a mentor initially, and I, I think also she was in it for the wrong reasons. And so it kind of put me off a little bit, and I decided... I just wouldn't sort of actively seek a mentor. Um, so I haven't ever really had a very formal mentor relationship with somebody. However, I have had a few sort of informal mentor relationships and one really great mentor that I have at the moment informally is my boss, um, Chris Hitchens, who's also um, the London office managing partner at Catton. And Chris has been pretty incredible throughout my journey at Catton, um, very supportive and, um, you know, kind of giving me very good advice in terms of progression and continues to do so. And so I would say um, one of the things that I've realised, having sort of organically built this mentor-mentee relationship with Chris is, that it's reminded me how important it is to have a mentor, not just sort of as you're um, trying to break through into the, the legal industry, but also throughout your career. Um, and that sort of guidance and help that Chris has given and continues to give me is invaluable. So, so yeah, I'd encourage people to, to seek a mentor and not make my mistake and wait, wait until sort of, I guess, you know, a couple of years ago before um, I, I, I kind of struck that mentor-mentee relationship. And how would you say that not having a mentor affected maybe you entering the legal sector or perhaps looking back at challenges you may have faced, uh, do you think having a mentor maybe guiding you through that uh, would have helped or would have made a difference? Absolutely. I mean, there are so many things that people just don't tell you, you know, when you're kind of going for interviews, when you're applying for training contracts that would have been useful to know had I known. And I suppose I went through a process of quite a long process of trying to get a training contract um, that perhaps if I'd had a bit more information or guidance or just somebody to bounce ideas off would have been so helpful. Um, so, so yeah, it's, I, I would say it's 
it's harder and um, not not because you know you kind of guaranteed a training contract having a mentor or anything like that but it's just great to have that support I think um, and be able to as I say just bounce ideas off people you know even do some interview practice or you know run your CV by somebody who's gone through it um, so yeah I think it would have been very useful had I had it. Yeah and I guess speaking from my own experience having you as a mentor I guess this applies specifically in the legal sector. It's also helpful kind of getting an eye within the legal sector. I often feel that it's a bit more private in a way uh, for us as students. So going through law school, uh, you don't really know how things happen in practice. So I guess what how that helped me the most uh, through you is basically understanding how that actually works out in practice and within law firms as well. It's, I'd agree it's it is so different um sort of just I guess reading about a law firm and trying to get to know a law firm to be able to tailor your CV or understand what it's like to work in a law firm if you've, you've not been fortunate enough to have that opportunity to then get that across in your application and so yeah I would say I'd agree it's it's really useful to have somebody to to discuss those things with and somebody who can give you an insight. And then I also want to uh, wanted to ask you what led you to become a mentor. You're, you've been acting as my mentor through BPP. What kind of led you to take on that post uh, and how you have approached your role as well? Sure. So um, I've been a mentor for quite a long time for BPP. So I think it was the reason I decided to do it, I guess, was because I just thought, well, you know, I didn't have a great experience, maybe I could um, help some people and um, just share my experiences and, and try to um, try to kind of make a difference there. But um, so I, I guess I've been doing it for, oh, it'll be about nearly 10 years now. Um, I took a break in between sort of having my two children um, when I, I wasn't able to, to fulfill the obligations of a mentor. but. Um, but otherwise, I've I've always had a mentor, um, a mentee, and um, I think it's it's been a great experience. You know, I think mentor-mentee relationships are often two-way as well. I've felt, you know, I've been able to learn about a lot about myself and um, I guess develop new skills as well. Um, I suppose, you know, kind of the more senior you get in a, a law firm, the better it is and the, the more helpful it is to, to obtain and to practice those skills, especially for supervision purposes and, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I, I very much see it as a two-way process and um, I'm constantly learning myself. So it's, um, it's always been a great experience. I guess another point on our kind of mentorship, um, which I liked, was how we kind of looked at my CV as well, my own experience, uh, and you helped me quite a lot in understanding how to flesh out the, the points that might make me more attractive to an employer. Um, so I actually really enjoyed going through my CV and looking at my own experiences and you telling me you should let that shine more. So my, let my character shine out more through my CV. Um, so I wanted to ask also for our listeners if you have any advice on that uh, in terms of building your own brand on your CV or interview advice in general. Sure. Um, so I guess, well, it's kind of you to say all of these things, but also it's, you know, it's so true. There are often so many things that people um, don't really want to make a big deal out of or think, oh, is it appropriate to kind of, you know, place emphasis on the things I enjoy or, you know, the, the achievements that I've I've made um, and with you Irene you have so many fantastic accolades and I felt kind of looking at your CV they were there but um, yeah it was it was kind of an opportunity to say well you know this is what I'm doing this is what I'm great at and you should definitely do that because 
as I say, there are just so many great things in there that any employer would be lucky to have. So, um, so sometimes, and I'm guilty of it as well, I hate blowing my own trumpet. I hate, um, I, you know, kind of sticking my hand up and, and sort of putting myself forward. So I think I'm better at giving the advice than taking it sometimes. But um, I would certainly say where you can sort of, as you say, you know, build your own brand and set yourself apart from, you know, from other potential other candidates um, by, you know, placing emphasis on uh, the, the things that you've achieved. So, for instance, this fantastic initiative that you both do um, for BPP, which is amazing and is something that I hadn't seen before, you know, so for somebody to have you know, I, I lead a diversity and inclusion podcast is just fantastic. It's just such a great thing to do. And so really make the most of those things um, to set yourself apart, but also just to let people know who you are. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to be working with people quite closely, often long hours. And it's, you know, for me anyways, you know, when I've been in a recruitment situation, um, it's really important for me to get to know that person. Person, understand about them their character what makes them tick what do they enjoy doing it's just so important and set yourself apart where you can yeah and I guess uh what I also liked about the advice you had given me then uh was how you had pointed out that um I should give more emphasis on my interests because that's what interviewers are going to ask me about at the end of the day everyone has some kind of experience at a law firm, went to university and did their law degree. Whereas what actually makes you shine is your interests and what you do outside of that. I would say that was the most valuable advice that you had given me. I'm glad it was helpful. But as I said, you've got a lot to shout about, so you should. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I guess moving on from that, um, I would also like to turn to Laura, uh, who's gonna give us a bit more of the perspective from the recruitment side of things uh, and her experience as well as an executive coach. Um, so our first question is, if you could briefly describe what the difference between coaching and mentorship is. Sure, absolutely. I'm starting to feel like a bit of an outsider here because I'm not a mentor to anyone at the moment. So um, hopefully I'll still be able to, to um, yeah, communicate some interesting points. So I would say that, that mentoring is typically a process in which you're matched, usually through a formal initiative, um, although as Sophia alluded to earlier, that, that's not always the case, with someone who's senior to you and who you can turn to for advice. So the person almost always works in the same industry as you, so they can give you tailored advice or pointers to help you advance. So, so it's normally the I need help with this problem. What would you do if you were me? Or what did you do when you were at this stage in your career type scenario? Um, coaching is a little bit different, although it's really interesting to, to sort of hear from, from the other speakers today. Um, maybe there are more similarities than, than I thought. At, at the heart of coaching is really this idea that each individual holds the answers to their own problems. So they might just need help accessing them. So as a coach, for example, I would use a series of techniques underpinned by psychology to facilitate a process of increased self-awareness. So the idea is really, I'm not here to give answers. I'm here to help my coachee, A, understand what they want to achieve, and B, how they're going to get there. Um, so whereas in mentoring, the mentor usually holds more of the power because they're seen as the more knowledgeable person in the relationship, although very interesting to hear from Sarah that it can be two-way and, and sort of mutually beneficial. Um, and so with coaching, it's really the coaching relationship itself and the trust that's formed that's powerful. And then the relationship itself sort of transfers that power to the person being coached. Um, and also I think a, a key difference is that it's not necessary for the coach to work in the same sector as their coachee, the assignment to be successful. And, and in fact, because it's non-directive, it's a non-directive intervention, it can be beneficial for the sectors to be quite different. Um, and, and since we're talking about things that help individuals and especially women progress, I wouldn't want to leave out sponsorship. 
Um, I think research has shown time and time again that it's sponsorship that really makes the biggest difference to promotion and progression within firms. So by sponsorship, I'm sort of referring to having someone in the organisation who talks positively about you when you're not around. So who really um, advocates for you to decision makers, who recommends you, for example, for stretch assignments and promotion. Um, and so sort of whilst mentoring and coaching usually happen formally, although as we've touched on earlier, that, that's not always the case. Um, sponsorship is something that happens more organically. So you, you sort of build up a relationship with someone more senior and then they turn into a sort of career cheerleader, I guess, if you like. Um, and all of this sounds great, but research shows that men are significantly more likely to have a sponsor than women. And I think it's also sort of important for us to, to talk about, um, you know, why this might be just so that women are aware. And I think Sarah said it is so important for young women and not just at the start of their careers, but throughout their career to build those relationships. Um, and the main reason that a lot of the relationships are formed with men more easily than women is that a lot of the time they happen through social events. So it could be in pre-COVID times, think of, you know, after work drinks or tickets to sporting events. And this isn't relevant necessarily at all ages and all parts of a woman's career, but because the lion's share of caring responsibility still fall to women, a lot of the time, unfortunately, we can be left out of that sort of informal sponsorship relationship. Um, so I'd really say, again, as Sarah said, focus on building that relationship where you can. Um, network, be clever about how you're going about this. I think the, net, the, the sort of the word networking can sometimes strike fear <laughs> into the hearts of those who sort of have an image of standing alone in a room of, of people and having to drum up conversation with strangers. But there are so, so many ways that you can network now. So it, it's really a matter of what, what works for you. So leading on nicely from that uh, and referring to those networking events, uh, what's your advice on how to network? So I think it's actually really key to find a way of networking that feels authentic. I think you really need to find something that works for you. So I think firstly, I would encourage people to reframe the way they think about networking. So I suppose going on from my earlier point about it seeming quite daunting, networking is no more and no less than relationship building. So if you start thinking of it in that way and using those words, I think it can seem a lot less intimidating. Um, and secondly, I would really encourage the use of technology so much networking happens online now and something that everyone responds well to is positive reinforcement. So if you, for example, attend a webinar and you're impressed by what you've heard, reach out to the speaker with a message on LinkedIn, for example. Um, in my own personal experience, people love hearing how your interests align with theirs. And I've had a number of conversations with people just off the back of having approached them directly after hearing them speak. Um, and I also really love what Sophia said earlier about not being afraid to ask questions when you're networking. Um, I think that many a successful relationship is, is sparked by curiosity. So you previously mentioned about self-awareness, which I found very interesting. And I guess I kind of wanted to mention that I had the chance to attend an event you did with a Business Support Network. And that webinar was focusing on this idea of recognizing your own values and then applying that in your daily life. So how can you recognize your own values and how can you incorporate that in your mindset, both in your career and your daily life? Sure, I mean, first of all, thank you so much for coming to that event. That's fantastic that you were able to, to listen in and, and hopefully you took some stuff away with you. So I think the process of identifying and prioritizing your values is a really important one I, I won't go into too much detail now otherwise you'll have me here until nine o'clock at night but um I, I think if we think first of all about what values are because for a lot of people that's not an easy question to answer so our values are basically our motivators so they're the core of who we are they're sort of deeply held principles that guide our choices and behaviors 
Um, and, and I think that the process of identifying and prioritizing them is beneficial for a number of reasons. So for example, it, it gives us a compass for decision-making and behavior. It provides a great lens through which to um, sort of understand others and reframe the idea of conflict. And I think through giving us a better understanding of our why, it also gives us increased motivation to achieve our goals. But I think for me, and hopefully for the, for the listeners as well, probably the most interesting benefit is that knowing our values helps us identify and leverage our own value in the workplace. So the things that we value tend to mirror what we give out. So having values as something we live our lives by helps us flesh out our personal brand and think about how we add value to the business. So for all of those, for example, that are going through application process, which as we've touched on earlier, can, can be very grueling. I would always encourage people to think when you're going onto firm websites, and a lot of the time they will publish what their values are, really think about what's important to you. Who are you? And is there a match there? Rather than sort of, it's very easy, I, I know to sort of apply slightly indiscriminately, but this is a firm where you might be spending many years of your of your career. So it's really important that there's alignment there. Yeah, thank you for that. So as was mentioned previously, you are uh, the recruitment and learning and development manager at Catton. Um, so I guess I wanted to bring it back to the recruitment side of things uh, and ask us to what initiatives are being taken to support women at your firm and also at industry level. So you can split that in two questions and answer them separately. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll talk about the firm first and specifically the London office, because I think at a firm wide level that there, there's a whole host of things. So I think the most exciting thing that we involve women in locally and um, so in London, which is part of a wider initiative is our Women's Leadership Forum, or the, the WLF as it's more commonly known. Um, so it was actually founded over in the States to help women find sponsors. But I think in London, it's really known as a sort of non-judgmental supportive group, whereby if someone felt they needed guidance, there would always be other more senior women to turn to. So I guess it does have that sponsorship element in there, but it's sort of a, a, a safe space, let's say. Um, and I know that there's a fantastic five person committee in London, which anyone can join, regardless of seniority. And they organize internal events. So I know they've had afternoon tea, coffee mornings and external events, which sort of really feeds into the business development side. So we've invited clients along. Um, and I recently had a chat with our tax partner, Charlotte Salabank, who, who sits on the committee in London. And she told me about a fantastic sounding event that I think was held a few years ago. So before I joined Catton, where everyone went on a Jack the Ripper walking tour and had fish and chips afterwards. So that was sort of members of the WLF and, and clients. And that sounds like an absolutely brilliant event. Um, and we've got a few coming up over the next few weeks. So one's about how to build confidence. And the other is something wildly different. And it's on postural alignment since we've all been you know, working really long hours in front of desks and sort of, you know, screen fatigue and all of that, that we're probably not taking um, enough care to, to sort of on top of our mental health to focus really on our, on our physical health. Um, so I also want to point out that, that whilst these events are to look after our women, that isn't to the exclusion of others and the whole office um, gets invited to, to some of the WLS bigger events. Um, and I think something else as well that I've certainly been doing quite a lot of work on is updating our processes and documentation. So for example, we have a competency framework and a document that shows the earner career progression, and that clearly lays out advancement criteria. And I, and I think that providing transparency is really, really important for making everyone feel included, and also to ensure that crucial consistency and objectivity in the performance management process. Um, so I think that the question of what's being done more generally at industry level, um, there are so many things here. So I really think that law firms are starting to up their game in terms of thinking of initiatives to help attract, retain and promote women. So as we know, there are mentoring programmes, 
firms are increasingly hiring internal coaches to work with their staff. So, you know, that, that's not typically sort of linked exclusively to women, but that's certainly a trend that I've seen more and more of over the last sort of three to six months. Um, and I'd say hiring managers are starting to look at the language they use in their job adverts to check it isn't gendered. So I attended a, a fantastic roundtable event on women in law the other day. And I found out that there's even a gender decoder, which was completely new to me, where you feed your job adverts into a website, which will then tell you how gendered the language is. So you can go away, modify it and make it as neutral as possible. Um, and firms are also, I think, reviewing the questions committees ask those who are up for promotion, particularly surrounding talking about achievement, because research again points to the fact that women find these questions much, much harder to answer than men. It, it's much tougher for us to boast about what our greatest achievement has been. Um, so I think firms are lastly also sort of looking at, at how they staff their deals because there's increased understanding that clients want diverse teams working on their matters. Um, and I think probably lastly, sort of, you know, really looking to make sure that there's equal opportunities for access to stretch assignments, because that's particularly important for, um, for progression. I mean, without wanting to end on a dismal note, um, we do have a long way to go, which is why I think Certainly the work that you're doing is, is so, so, so important. And, you know, women do need to be aware that there are still obstacles. So I attended um, an interlaw diversity forum webinar recently where they were saying that whilst there's 60% females at trainee level, in seven years, we've only made 2% progress on females at equity partner level. So in 2012, that stood at 12%. And the last time it was measured by the SRA in 2019, it had only crept up to 14%. So I really, really hope that law firms keep turning up the heat because I think particularly with a move for lots of firms to a hybrid working model, we really have a great opportunity to build back more modern, inclusive workplaces that will hopefully allow women to thrive. Yeah, thank you for that. Um... I guess looking at the stats and just taking a macro look at what's going on is definitely the first step in then starting on the groundwork. So before we round up, um, I'm going to pass on to Mohini because she has quick fire questions for all of you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to Laura and Sarah and Sophia for all of that insight that they've shared today. I hope we've been able to humanize mentorship and networking a little bit more and shed some light on the fact that it is accessible and not as scary as we might think so before we go on to the quick fire questions I wonder does anyone have any more points before we go on to that <laughs> I would just say yeah I completely agree with what Laura was saying about um talking about your achievements and what Sarah said as well I think perhaps the more junior you are in your career if you or if you haven't started your career yet the more daunting that perhaps is and the harder it is um, and I think that's where mentorship can come in as well because you know you've got someone who's where you want to be in in a few years and you know it just helps you break down that barrier that you know it's like I can do this I've got this um, and I think that's one of the like key things with mentorship as well. Yeah absolutely and sort of going to take that to move on to my quick fire questions as important as it is to have long-term goals within your industry I think it's really exciting to look to women in the world and that's why we have International Women's Day we want to see what women are doing and be inspired and empowered by them so in light of that I'm gonna be throwing some quick fire questions at all of our panelists Irina feel free to jump on if you want to as well and just get your opinion on some questions I have for you so the first is who is your favourite female lead in a movie? And if we go, Sophia, Sarah, Laura. Um, yeah, so uh, I've watched too many movies. So I'll just go with the probably the most recent one that stuck out to me um, is the film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And the female lead in that was Frances McDormand. I recommend you go and watch it. It's a cracking film and just like girl power. <laughs> 
Um, so mine, I guess I was just trying to think of sort of my favorite, one of my favorite films and um, one of my favorite films is Pulp Fiction. So I've got to say Uma Thurman, I think she plays that role fantastically. She's, I always remember sort of when I first watched it and I just thought she's so cool. <laughs> I just want to be not quite like her, but you know, she's got style. I actually ended up trying to have my hair cut like her and it did not suit me at all so, so the fringe and the the kind of you know the longish bob I yeah I couldn't pull it off <laughs> I'm cheating slightly with my answer because it's not a film um it's a it's a series but it would definitely be Gillian Anderson in the fall I'll accept the slightly tweaked answer, Laura, and thank you all of you. I think it's really important that we look to media and see positive things for once instead of seeing things that are really unattainable. So I respect you for trying out the bob, Sarah. <laughs> so next question for you, favourite female singer? Um, mine has to be the incredible Dolly Parton. Uh, love, a bit of, love a bit of country music. Just, you know, for all she's achieved, throughout her career, you know, she's a fantastic singer, amazing songwriter. She did Glastonbury a couple of years back. She looks younger than ever. Um, I mean, <laughs> she's she's just absolutely great. And, you know, her songs tell a story. And even now with her vaccination drive and her, her new rendition of uh, Jolene, vaccine, vaccine, I just, I love her. She's amazing. That's a really great one, Sophia. I don't know how I'll <laughs> I think she does um I didn't know this as, as well until I had children but she she's like the patron of a, a book charity and my little boy was lucky enough to receive a book every month from the Dolly Parton Foundation for free um, which just came through sort of I think it was uh, Southwark Council that we were with at the time um so yeah she is fantastic I agree um this was so hard for me um music is a big part of my life and I'm going to cheat a little bit because I couldn't decide um, out of many, but I managed to narrow it down to two. So um, mine would be Aretha Franklin. She was amazing. One of the best soul voices ever. And also um, Sharon Jones, who sadly passed away, I think it was a few years ago, but um, you kind of listen to her her music and she does just sound like you know she's come out of the 60s although she you know she was recording um I think it was with Dapton Records not that long ago and um and yeah again you know fantastic music really original stuff but um really powerful especially you know as a female voice and um and you know the, the topics that she would sing about um so yeah I've cheated I hope that's okay <laughs> I might cheat a little bit more by by choosing to um Aretha Franklin was actually going to be someone that I that I would say so thinking slightly off the top of my head I mean someone whose music I've loved for years and years is Lauren Hill from the Fugees um and the other person that I'd say is Nina Simone so both of them I think are absolutely fantastic and also what they represent the things that they you know would sing and, and speak about um, how powerful they were as female figures as well. Yeah, thank you. Also love all of those and Dolly Parton, but I think as lawyers, it's rare that we're ever going to be working nine till five, but here's to hoping anyway. So last one about media, sort of. Favourite female author? Um, so again, yeah, this was a tough one, um, having read many, many, many books, <laughs> as I'm sure a lot of lawyers have as well. Um, but yeah, for me, um, I think it's got to be Maya Angelou, um, just her books and her poetry, I just find it so moving. And I remember reading her novel, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which is the first volume of a volume of autobiography she did. And just the way she talks so eloquently about how poetry and literature helped her overcome the struggles of, that she experienced with race and the trauma she'd experienced in her lifetime. I just found it so powerful and so moving that she's got to be top of my list. Yeah, so another hard question, Mahini. <laughs> um, 
I am a fan of the classics. Years ago, you had the likes of um, the Bronte sisters. And I think, you know, a lot of their literature is, you know, is so classical. Um, and, um, and Jane Austen, you know, that's sort of trying to get books published in that era must have just been so tough. Um, and trying to sort of step into that man's world uh, would have been hard. Um, but I also just wanted to think of something a bit more recent. And um, I've been reading Queenie by Candice Carty Williams. And uh, her her writing is just, it's just so clever. Like she's dealing with some really um, powerful and upsetting issues that even still happen today that shouldn't happen. Um, but the way she gets it across and the way she writes her story or part of it is her story is, is just so inspiring. Um, so, so yeah, that is a book that I'm kind of almost there with, really enjoyed and I'm looking forward to picking up some of her other novels. Um, I think actually Queenie is to be, um, I think it's to be turned into a series on Netflix or something. So I'll, I'll look forward to that as well. I'm cheating again a little bit by copying Sarah. Sarah, I didn't realise we had so much in common. Queenie is also one of my all-time favourite books. I finished it a few months back and I think it's brilliant. Um, so I would say probably favourite female author right now is Elizabeth Day. Um, I started listening to her podcast, How to Fail, a while back. I don't know if you, you've heard of it. I would recommend anyone and everyone to listen to it because it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and so she she published a book fairly recently called Philosophy, which I think is just packed full of learnings. Um, so it's really the, the book that accompanies the, the podcast series. But I think she's brilliant. Yeah, I have heard of that podcast. I really like it. And I accept and respect all of your answers. I think one of the dorkiest things about me is that I have the first page of Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen, in the form of a poster on my bedroom wall. So definitely would have Jane Austen on my list as well. Our penultimate question for you, in one sentence, how do you overcome setbacks? This was really tough as well. And I think mine's gonna sound really cheesy, but it was said to me when I was having a really stressful day at work and I just felt like the world was going to end. You know, when you just have one of those moments where something goes wrong, you feel like the world is going to end, everything's just going wrong. And someone turned around and said to me, you're too blessed to be stressed. And now when I ever I find myself in that sort of situation, I just step back and, you know, I say this could be so much worse. You know, <laughs> just think, think, think of how it is and it could be worse. There's always a way that it could be worse. And there are people who are in a lot worse of situations than I am. And so, you know, in this moment, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Take a step back, you know every like everything's fixable you've got this <laughs> I'm going to remember that Sophia that's a great one <laughs> it's a really nice phrase as well um so I think for me you know just being completely honest I've you know kind of gone through a number of setbacks um sort of you know throughout my career to date and I imagine I'll go through many more um I think the way I deal with it is just through um through trying to remember that setbacks, setbacks will make me stronger. So really trying to draw strength from overcoming it in whatever form, try to, to, to draw that positive from it, um, which is quite hard. It's really hard to do, you know, you kind of, certain things can be really tough to deal with and, and very negative. Um, and it is so hard when you're going through something to, to kind of draw that positive out of it. But yeah, I just say, remember, it will make you stronger and you will get through it. I suppose following on from what Sarah's just said, mine would be reflect on the learning. There's a great Nelson Mandela quote, which is, I never lose, I either win or learn. I love that. They're all really great. Got some strong Kelly Clarkson vibes from you, Sarah. I really liked all of those. And the very last question that we have for you, and thank you for answering all of my strange questions today. Hopefully they've been helpful to someone. So the final one is, what makes you feel empowered? So recently, what makes me feel empowered, again, and maybe a little bit off-piste, is um, I was gifted a karaoke machine uh, for Christmas as a secret Santa. And, you know, sometimes you just need to whack on a song and just sing it at the top of your lungs. 
um, put on some music, dance around. I feel like that just makes me feel like I can face anything. Um, maybe a bit easier now working from home, you know, I can just snip over, pop on a karaoke machine, <laughs> have a song. I don't know how well that will go, go down when we're back in the office. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, just dancing like no one's watching and then you just let, let it all out and you just feel amazing afterwards. Yeah, so mine was very similar to Sophia's. I'm, you know, I'm big on music and the one thing that's helped me throughout is just whacking on a record, you know, a tune, just have a good dance. Um, my children are really into music as well. And actually this afternoon I was making lunch for my, my little girl and she was just so tearful, like unbelievably tearful, really out of character for her. I think she was just ready for a nap. Um, and I think there was some, I can't even remember what song it was that came on the radio, but she just decided to get up and have a boogie. And we, we just danced around the kitchen together for about five minutes and she was so happy. So I think not only, you know, does that make me feel empowered, but clearly, you know, to an 18 month old, <laughs> she's, uh, she's clearly drawing some vibes from there too. <laughs> Mine is also related to music, so bet you didn't expect <laughs> Mahini and Arena that you'd have such a, a musical bunch of guests. Um, I have always loved singing, and I actually became a member of an online choir um, a few months back, House Gospel Choir, which kind of, you know, does what it says on the tin, mixture of house music and, and gospel music, and they just bring so much energy, so I think it's sort of the energy that comes through the Instagram live stream and also getting up and, and being able to sing. Um, yeah, that makes me feel pretty fantastic, to be honest. Thank you guys. I really loved all of those answers and relate to them massively. Mine is Zumba and dancing and singing all rolled in one. So it looks a bit obscene and it is very loud, but makes me feel great. <laughs> I think that wraps us up for today. So I want to thank you all so much for joining us and the insight that you've shared with us and hopefully it's helped some of the listeners and we've been able to adequately celebrate International Women's Day. So thank you all very much. Thanks very much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Irini. And it's lovely to be guesting with Sophia and Laura too. Yeah, thank you. I'd say I've learned, I've learned a lot from Laura and Sarah. It's been really lovely to be on this show with you both. Thank you.